I invite you this morning to take your Bibles with me. Let's turn together to the book of Philippians. Let's turn together this morning to the book of Philippians in Philippians chapter 3. As you're turning there to the book of Philippians, just one more announcement. You'll notice in the bulletin this morning or today that there's a yellow leaflet inside your bulletin, and it is a preview of the next spring through summer semester of what is happening in the Grace Equip class. And just a, a reminder to you, Grace family, Grace Equip is the monthly class that's held on Thursday nights, and it is taught by John Conforti. It's once a month, the third Thursday of the month, and it's held in the fellowship hall. And the whole purpose of the class, as with every other area of the ministry, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so the focus, they've just finished up studying about the cults the last number of weeks and months in this past year. And moving into the new year, 2024, the focus will be, I think, the class voted on the topics that they could be studying, and it's on Apologetics 101. And you'll see the teaching schedule for January all the way through July of what the subjects will be, and that will be very helpful, uh, and you'll find it there in the bulletin. So just want to highlight that. I want you to take note of that. Be praying for Brother John as he uh, teaches that class. Brother John is a faithful member of our church, struggles with a number of health issues, and the Lord has strengthened him, touched him, and helped him, and uses him, uh, particularly in this area for this focused laser-like study uh, to equip the saints of the Word of God. So just want to remind you of that, explain that, and looking forward to see how the Lord uses that in the coming year. Philippians chapter 3, we're directing our attention this morning to verses 12 through 14. For the sake of context, I'd like us to read down through verse 16 this morning, beginning in verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Paul writes this, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind and if in anything you think otherwise, then God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, verse 16, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Well, this is the Word of God. This morning, the title of our message, it's a standalone message. This Sunday, given that it is the last Sunday of the year, being led of the Lord, praying and seeking the, the mind of the Lord. I've come to this text for the life of our church as we take spiritual inventory and think about our walk in Christ, not only individually, but corporately as a, as a church body. The title of today's message is this, The Focused Life. The Focused Life. Another rendering could be this, The Christ-Focused Life. What is the focused life? It's not just simply being in the zone. It's not simply being more productive. It's not simply being more, uh, all the things we could add, adjectives there. But it is the focused life, the Christ-like life. The Christian life is the focused life. And that is what Paul is teaching us in verses 12 through 14 here in our text. As we come to this time of year, it's the end of a year, isn't it? And it lends itself to thoughts and progressions, reflection, challenges that we have overcome in the, in the previous year, losses that we have experienced, additions that have been added to our businesses, our families, signs of God's fruitfulness, production, His grace in our lives. As we look in our personal lives, as we look in our familial lives, as we look in our business lives, our work lives, as we think about in our church family, in our church life, we reflect upon the past year, God's faithfulness, His provisions, the subtractions, the changes. In fact, we could summarize all of it as this, the changes of life, the changes of 2023, the vicissitudes 
the topography of life. It goes up and it goes down. But one thing life is not is simply the same. And the reality is, is that we don't like change as, as limited, frail creatures of dust, do we? We get comfortable. We get into areas of our life where we master it, we template it, we've got it, and now we want it to keep going like the plan and the template says it will go. We've got the formula figured out, we've got it all scheduled out, and then we want it just to keep going like that, and then changes come our, our way. We don't like change. In fact, we get weary of change, or we want to control where we want change, but we don't necessarily like it when we're out of control and can't control the areas of our life where God determines we need, we need change. So we get comfortable. In fact, you can say it like this, the definition of a living being, the definition of a living cell is something that is constantly changing. The very means of what it means to be alive is something that is growing, changing, a living organism. And I want to remind us this morning is that the church is a living entity. That the church of Jesus Christ is a living organism made up of living individuals spiritually who are constantly being changed. Let's kind of tweak it a little bit more and give it some more biblical language. The church is not only a living entity or a living cell, the church is a living entity of beings who are being conformed into the image of Christ. It's not just change for the sake of change. It's a change that is spirit-driven. It is change that is focused, focused upon the purposes of God in Christ. So while we may not like change, one thing we need to establish this morning is that God, our God, Jehovah God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, listen here, is intimately interested in change he is intimately interested in our change he is intimately interested but not only interested but driving in control of your change your sanctification your growth in christ in fact this is what the spirit of god is committed to where we've already seen matthew chapter 16 verse 18 where christ has said i will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Part of that building work is the Spirit of God changing, reproving, building, fruitfully multiplying His, his church. That's a corporate level. On, a, on an individual level, Paul writes in Romans 12 too, Do not be conformed to this world, its mold, but be transformed. Transformation, that's change. Inner man change. Growth, taste pursuits but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God friends spiritually individually this has been a year of change for you I know it has I know it has without even knowing the intimate details of your life because I know this if you are in Christ then God's spirit is at work in you and he's transforming your mind by his truth Old sins are losing their sway. The temptations of the flesh are no longer holding you as they once were. You are exercising and growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're growing in the victory that is in the Holy Spirit. There is change. 2023 has been a, a season, a year of change. And then there's, of course, as I've already mentioned, the things about this past year that are heavy that are dev devastating in some senses. And those, those things are as myriad and different as they are people in the room. Church, I just want to direct your attention this morning to the shepherding sovereignty care of our God. In fact, as we reflect upon 2023, knowing that God is graciously sovereign keeps His people from getting bitter. Knowing God has allowed all that He has allowed to happen to us for His purposes and glory and for our ultimate transformation into the being and person of Christ. Knowing that God is graciously sovereign keeps me and you from getting bitter. And knowing that God is graciously sovereign, looking ahead to 2024, keeps us as his people and his sheep from being overwhelmingly fearful. So we look ahead into the horizon in the weeks and months that are ahead. If you're not careful, and if I'm not careful, we can allow fear to creep up into our hearts and all of the unknowns, all of the what-ifs, 
This is a year, 2024, of a, a, another presidential election and other political things where we will vote for. We'll see things happen in the life of our country. This is a monumental year in that regard. There's many other levels of concerns that we could have. And we say, Lord, what will happen? What is on the horizon? Friends, remembering this morning that God is graciously sovereign keeps me and you from being overwhelmingly fearful and moving forward in faith. God has not given us, as his people, a spirit of fear. Yet we walk in faith. So as we look at Philippians chapter 3, as we see our passage this morning, Paul here is our able shepherd. Here Paul shepherds us to press on in Christ. Not just me, not just some of you, but all of us. So hear the message of the Lord this morning to yourself. Do not hear the message this morning as in a simply a checked out way as for someone else. Do not hear it for the person who's not here this morning. Do not hear it for the person to your right or to your left or in front of you or behind you. Wake up right here, right now, and hear this message as to you. To the youngest in the room, to the oldest in the room, Paul wants you to hear this message. The Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, wants us to hear this message. And it's this, to press on in Christ. To have a focused life. In fact, as we look at the teaching of Paul, Paul frequently uses metaphors, illustrations to communicate spiritual truth. Some of his more well-known uh, illustrations are military, if you will, a military metaphor, such as Ephesians 6, 11, where Paul writes, put on the whole armor of God. So Paul uses, throughout Scripture, one way of example, military metaphors, armor, protection, safety. Another categorical example of metaphors that Paul uses is architecture, buildings, windows, doors, Specifically, temple, 2 Corinthians 6.16, where he writes, You are the temple of God. Galatians 6, verse 7, Paul uses an agricultural, agrarian metaphor when he reminds the church, Whatsoever a man sows, that he shall also reap. But in our text here, Philippians 3 this morning, we see maybe perhaps Paul's most famous category and metaphor, and it's that of an athletic Metaphor. In fact, you could say it like this, Paul was a fan of athletics. Paul enjoyed sports. Now, some of you, my goal is not to be too direct this morning, but some of you are so pious that you don't watch sports, you don't enjoy sports, and you let everyone know about it. In fact, for me as a preacher to even mention basketball or football, I see it. I see it on your faces sometimes. You have a, a little bit of a pious rolling of an eye expression. And so I just want to humbly, gently remind us this morning that the inspired apostle Paul is the apostle writing the inspired word of God. And yet, sports in general, athletics, is one of his favorite metaphors to teach or to parallel the Christian life. Let me just say as well, do we live in a sports-obsessed society? Absolutely, no doubt. But that fact does not rob us from the beautiful metaphor with which we see a spiritual truth here this morning. So I digress and I press on. Notice here in our text where Paul, multiple times, twice specifically, exhorts the saints to press on, to lay hold of the prize that is Jesus Christ. Here Paul stands with other passages in the New Testament, namely, maybe the most famous, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, where that writer says this, Therefore also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here, Paul picks up on this same language. 1 Corinthians 9, he uses the illustration of a boxer fighting and boxing. And he says, I fight with intensity. I train with focus. I do not simply box as one boxing and hitting the air. So here, Paul picks up as, a, as an athletic metaphor to teach us, to remind us that we as disciples of Jesus are runners in a race. In fact, he compares the Christian life to running a race. And I want to say this by way of qualification. Paul here is not teaching us how we maintain right standing with God. 
Paul is not teaching salvifically here in this passage. This is not how we are made right with God, how we earn grace with God. It's it's none of those things. Paul is not talking about justification. Here, Paul is exhorting the church, urging the church, shepherding the church to follow me as I follow Christ in sanctification, pressing on in Christ, growing in the grace that is found in Him. And by his personal example here, he's reminding us that every believer, that's why I emphasized a moment ago, this message is for all of us. Every believer is on the track. Every believer is in his lane. Every believer is running the race. The race that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In fact, you could say it like this. Every believer is on the track, and each one has his own race to run. This is not salvation. This is rewards in Christ. This is pursuing sanctification. This is pursuing the prize. This is running after the goal that Christ has placed before us. And if we each run the finish all the way to the finish line as God has planned and mapped out for us, friends, we will not lose citizenship in the kingdom, but we will win the prize that the Lord has purposed and planned for us. So here in our passage, Paul presents the high calling of God in Christ. And what is that? To know Christ. He's already unpacked that. If you look back in chapter 3, verse 10, Paul has already given the, really the ethos of his ambitions. Chapter 3, verse 10, he says, "...that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection." And the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Here Paul is pointing us to this aspect of it's not okay to be okay. It's not okay to be status quo. In regards to growth and grace and in Christ, it's not okay to be comfortable. It's not okay to be satisfied with struggling. It's not okay to simply say, I'm in a funk. It's not okay to be satisfied with where we're at. It's not okay to simply be satisfied with being in a ditch. In fact, when we look at the life of Paul, he is a great example to us of always seeking to press on. In Christ. In fact, 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, he writes in his closing letters there to Timothy, he reminds Timothy the purpose is to discipline himself for the purpose of godliness, to exercise, to purpose that he would pursue Christ. And he goes on to say, for bodily training is just slightly beneficial, but godliness is beneficial for all things, since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. One thing you can never say about Paul was that he was lazy, spiritually. One thing you could never say about Paul was that he was lackadaisical when it came to his sanctification or his growth in Christ. Here, Paul would say, I think in a common vernacular, I I cannot relate to spiritually lazy people. I, I don't speak the same language as them. I don't understand it. My mind and my focus is to win Christ. And yet he does not gloat in his drive. He calls us, shepherds us, the same way to fix our eyes and to follow, to follow Him. Now notice in our account this morning, number one, I'll mention our headings as we come to them. Number one, Paul's admission. Paul's admission. We find this in verse, verse 12. And here we find he writes, he says this, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Here in verse 12, we see this phrase, not that I have already attained or have perfected. Again, context matters. From chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, Paul has been addressing the creeping thread of legalism to the church. Those who come into the church spouting their, their qualifications, their zeal in the law, their, their achievements, their attainments, And so Paul, in one of the most rare examples of Scripture, of him boasting, in a sense, of who he is and what he's accomplished, Paul takes earthly credentials, if you will, earthly verifications, and says, listen, if there was anyone who has a right to boast 
I have the right to boast. And you'll find those, that listing there, and we won't take the time to look them up, verses 1 through 10. And he's already stated, but I count all of that as trash, as rubbish, as dung, as unmentionable, as excrement, verse 10, for the sake of knowing Christ. All in all is Jesus, Paul is saying, and in Jesus is, is everything. And he goes on to exhort the church to press on. Here in our verse, verse 12, Paul's admission, not that I have already attained. In other words, if anyone could say, I have attained status or achievement or a place to chill in the coast, to put it in, uh, if you will, to put it in, in uh, the, the term slips my mind, but when you fix the, the speed in the car, just the coast. Any, if anyone could do that, Paul is saying, I could do that, but I will not do that. In fact, he goes on to say here, I have not reached a point in my Christian experience where I think after Christ perfectly, walk after Christ perfectly, model Christ perfectly with consistency, purity, and maturity. Here the Apostle Paul says, if anyone can boast, could boast, I could, and yet I won't because I can't. Friends, we all have heroes, don't we? We have heroes in the spheres of our lives where we have hobbies and ambitions, and we say, listen, I love to play the guitar. I love to play the, the bass, and no one plays the bass like Flea plays the bass. No one plays the banjo like Steve Martin plays the banjo, and no one shoots the basketball like Steph Curry shoots the basketball. We have heroes in our, in our areas of hobbies and ambitions, and we say, but they're, they're the best. I'm just going to tell you, Paul is the best. Perhaps no other New Testament Christian was used of God to give us sound doctrine in the truths of Scripture, to be used of Paul to establish churches and missions in the way that Paul does and, does and did and gives instruction to the church. And yet here, Paul, our hero of the faith, stands before the church at Philippi and stands before us even here this morning and says, I have not arrived. I must press on in Christ. Now, what Paul is saying here. It's very humbling. In fact, it deals a death blow to what in theology we call perfectionism or sinless perfectionism. And we will not take the time to unpack that or to get into those things. But just in summary, to put the belief in the Christian life that we can arrive at or achieve a sense of glorification here and now. Sinless perfection. <laughs> Friends, listen. Uh, I think all of us would agree that we have not reached that place or point, point yet. But that would be a false teaching that some traditions and movements would hold to. In the background of Paul's teaching here is also an element where he's addressing of Gnosticism, which taught that there were those who could attain or reach a certain level of, of knowledge, and that equated perfection. And here Paul is just saying no to all of that and saying, listen to me, church, wake up and remember that we must press on in Christ. We've come a long way. God's done some great things, but we have not arrived individually, familially, or corporately as a church. And that would be a good place to say a hearty amen. I'm going to say it again. And I'm not, I'm not used to directing responses from the crowd, but I feel like this is too important. What Paul is saying is that we have not arrived. Amen. amen. Church, I just need to know you're awake this morning. This applies to me. This applies to us. Here Paul leads the way of saying there is no room for boasting. We must fix our eyes in humility upon Christ. In fact, there's a principle here for us, and it's simply this. Our vision of God determines everything else in our life. Our vision of God, our vision of Christ determines everything else else in our life. And our problem is not that we have too big of a vision of God. The problem is we have too big of, of a vision of self. Our problem here this morning is not that God is too big, but it's that God is too small. We start to rest upon our laurels. We begin to get comfortable. We begin to experience victory in the gospel. We begin to experience progress and growth. And it's exhilarating. The power of God at work in us in sanctification spiritually is, is amazing. But the problem is, is pride begins to creep in. And where pride creeps in, a fall shortly follows. So our vision of God, 
Our vision of Christ determines everything else in our life. Daniel reminds the people of God, Daniel eleven thirty two, 32, but the people who know their God will display strength, spiritual strength, and take action, achieve mighty exploits. How do they do this? Their vision of God. The people who know their God. More about that in a moment. As Paul says, to know Christ is everything. Intimately. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is a strong confidence. Where does this force come from? Where does this confidence come from? Not in what we do, but in God in Christ. So here, Paul's admission to us protects us from complacency, mediocrity, being okay with being good. In fact, I would submit to you this morning, too many Christians, too many disciples of Jesus are okay with being okay. Not even AT&T is okay with being okay. You know, the funny commercials that they had for years were hilarious. Just okay is not okay. Remember those? The doctor walks in and says, look who's back from suspension. And he just walks on and says, I'm a little nervous about the surgery today. How are you? And he just interacts. And, and the whole thing is filled with fright and nervousness. And then the refrain, come, refrain comes, just okay is not okay. Well, we're AT&T, they say, and we're excellent. Now, many of you AT&T customers don't even get started here this morning. You would say AT&T is not okay. Well, that's the problem. Many Christians today are okay with being okay. As they look into their heart and life, their, their goals, their ambitions, there is none. There's no ambition, there's no growth. Knowing Christ, loving Christ, pursuing Christ, there's a verbiage that's there. But the problem is, is the attitude, their heart, is one of lukewarmness. In church, we will just remind ourselves of what Revelation chapter 3, verse 16 says. What the Spirit of God says to the churches. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold or hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18 of Revelation 3, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with an eye salve that you may see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Church, if the Lord is speaking to us this morning, receive it as the kindness of the Holy Spirit of God, because those whom He loves, He corrects, rebukes, and chastens. This is a wonderful sign as we are convicted this morning about our spiritual states, our ambitions, our understanding of who we are in Christ, that, that no, we have not arrived... Notice back with me, chapter 3, verse 12 of Philippians, Paul writes, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. The language here that Paul is using is one of maximum effort, sustained effort. Pressing on, laying hold could be translated here as to overtake. There is a prize. Some of us are running a race as if, you know, cruise control was what I was trying to think of a second ago, as if there, there's nothing to win. Friends, Christ is the goal. Christ is the prize. And Paul says, I live this life in such a way as to overtake, to seize, or to catch. And, and what is it that he is trying to catch? Turn with me briefly, Romans 8, verse 28. Romans 8, verse 28. And let's put some concrete language here, an understanding to what it is. The easy answer is the Sunday school answer. What is it, class? Jesus. All right. Well, yes. Okay. Let's get a little bit more specific. It's not just Christ, but what Christ has purposed in himself for us as his people. When Paul says that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has already laid hold of, of me, what does he mean? Two cross references here. Romans 8, verse 28. Here, Paul says this, he says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now notice the language here, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed into the image of his Son. This is that change that God is intimately interested in church. God is interested in you continually being conformed into the image of His Son. That changes everything, church. 
That changes how we look at problems. That looks at how we look at our circumstances. It changes how we look at our circumstances. It changes how we look at the doctor's diagnosis. It changes how we look at and understand that nothing is accidental in our life. As we said before, the sovereignty of God keeps us from becoming bitter and fearful and knowing that he is committed to our shepherding change and care. What is that care? What is that change? To be conformed into the image of his, his son. One other passage, Ephesians 2 verse 10. If you'll turn there briefly, Ephesians follows Philippians, Galatians Ephesians, Philippians, excuse me, is before Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Again, we're looking at, just briefly, what is it that Paul is saying, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. What is that, that which Christ Jesus? Ephesians 2, verse 10, a verse we recite often here at Grace. For we are his workmanship. And what does that mean? Well, to be his workmanship is to be created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, it's pressing on and pursuing what God has purposed for us. You don't have to turn here, but Paul describes it in 2 Thessalonians 2.14 in this way, to which he has called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, it's to rest in the understanding that God has purposed things for us as as individuals. God has purposed things for us as a church. God has purposed His will for us, good works that we should walk in them. And how do we know what those good works and what these things are? How do we lay hold of them? Friends, we do it by pursuing Christ through His Word. Brother asked me just before the sermon this morning, how is it that we hear the voice of the Lord? As we reflect and understand, be still and know that He is God, what, what all does that mean? We were taking a moment just to talk about that. It's just a reminder to us that prayer, the discipline of prayer, is primarily how we speak to God. And when we come before His Word in the quietness of our God and I time, our quiet place, the, the prayer closet, the secret place, when we open His Word and His Word reads us, it's where He speaks to us. It's where he examines us. It's where we look into the mirror of God's word and his law and his gospel, and it informs us, and God uses the unique benefits of his spirit and his word to lead us into the truth. That is the primary work of the Holy Spirit. So number one, Paul's admission here, I haven't arrived, church. And so because I haven't arrived, I press on. In other words, there is no neutral in the Christian life. So he says, I pursue the prize. I'm dissatisfied with my present spiritual condition. Before we move to point number two, I want to ask you that question. Are you dissatisfied with your current spiritual condition? I'm afraid many of us are okay with being okay. I'm afraid that many of us are satisfied with just the status quo. And all of that translates to lukewarmness, to which Christ would rather spew out of his mouth. Lest we not wake up and take the message seriously this morning, let's just remind ourselves of how Christ thinks about lukewarmness. This morning I made a cup of coffee. Dumb example, simple example, right off the front burner. I'll give it to you. And in my study, the coffee, I hadn't even touched it. It had grown cold. And in my subconscious, I reached over there expecting a hot taste of coffee, which I like my coffee hot. I'm sure you do as well but it had grown cold. Now, that's quite a jarring when, you know, experience when you reach over and you're expecting a, a hot, you can see the, you know, the, the, the fog coming off the, 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 the drink there, and it about jolted me. It was a simple reminder even of the message this morning. May the Lord help us to look inwardly, to ponder the path of our feet, to look and examine our ways, as Scripture regularly calls, as we saw in the, the Scripture reading this morning, not to turn to the right or to the left, but to stay on the path, and to make admissions where we must make admissions. Secondly, we see Paul's aim in verse 13. Notice what Paul says. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, 
and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Here, Paul gives us his focus. Here, he gives us his aim. He describes it in this singularity of focus, this one thing I do. Now, remember the context and the metaphor is one of athletics, particularly one of running a race. Some of you have been in track. Some of you have been in cross country. Some of you, this rings a bell immediately. But for others who have, it's been a while or uh, it's been a long time, let's just remind ourselves, every runner, every athlete knows that where they fix their eyes is the most important part of the race. To look at your feet is to be certain to trip and fall. To look to the right is to be passed up on the left. To look to the left is to be passed up on the right. To look into the crowd is to be distracted and also to possibly fall, trip, and to become injured in some type of way. Many other practical examples we could give, but the point is this. Focus is everything. And here, Paul says, I have a singularity of focus. My aim is this one thing I, I do. When it comes to our spiritual life, church, could it be that the refrain that is said of us is not this one thing I do, but this a hundred things I do? Do you feel weary here this morning spiritually? Do you feel overwhelmed and burdened? Sure, to some degree and sense, all of us do. But it could be one reason why that is, is this, these thousand things that I do. And much like Martha, we, are, we have become encumbered. We have become weary in our service for the Lord because we've lost our singularity of focus in Christ. Who it's for. Who we're working towards. Who we're running after. Who we're focused upon as we work out our salvation, our sanctification with fear and with trembling. Here, Paul says the opposite of what James gives description of in James chapter 1, verse 8, when he describes those who are spiritually double-minded. There is a thing as spiritually double-mindedness. And James reminds us in James 1.8 that those who are double-minded spiritually are, notice here, unstable in all their ways. Works perfectly with the text here this morning. Paul says, this one thing I do, I'm fixed upon Christ, I'm looking at Christ, and I'm not checking out the crowd, I'm not looking behind, I'm not looking to the right or to the left, but I'm fixed upon Christ. And so because Paul is fixed upon Christ, he's not double-minded or unstable, but he is very much stable. He's able to pursue the, cry, the, the prize. I want to ask you this morning, could it be when you think about your spiritual sanctification, your growth in grace, your growth in the disciplines, your God and I time, that you start and you stop and you start and you stop and you start and you stop? I mean, listen, we think we're disciplined and we can't even make it through Leviticus in our Bible reading program. I mean, I'm trying to be funny. Like, it's, we, we get far, and then we get bogged down, and we stop. Uh, we, we get disciplined again, and we make it through the historical books. And then we, 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 I mean, we can barely make it out of the, you know, the poetic books of our Bible reading plan before we just sputter out and die. And next thing we know, it's the end of December. And if we try real hard, we got three days left, we can get it all fit in the last three days, and we just get weary and borne down again. Now, that must not be any of your experiences. I just confess to you here this, this morning, mine. Here's the idea. Here Paul says, listen, I have a singularity of focus. I'm focused completely upon Christ. And notice that this singularity of focus, this aim that Paul has, has a negative aspect to it and a positive aspect to it as well. Notice the negative there in verse 13 is, involves forgetting those things which are behind and then positively reaching forward to those things which are ahead. First off, notice that negative aspect of his aim. In order to be able to look forward, in order to be able to focus on Christ. Darling, could you get me, just bring me a piece of a tissue briefly. Thank you. In order to be able to focus upon Christ, it involves negatively, he must ignore what is behind. Thank you, sweetheart. I'm struggling this morning, church. Thank you. So negatively, forgetting those things which are behind. You say, what things? Anything. Spiritually. Physically. Friends, a runner doesn't look backwards as he's running. And Paul says, but that's our problem, is that we're primarily desiring to live life looking backwards. Church, don't, don't act like that's not our struggle. It is. We want to live in memories. We want to live in achievements of the past. We are, we are 
assaulted with reminders of our sinful past. We are reminded as Satan sends the fiery darts of remembrance into our hearts and minds, secretly pulling us into the temptation of becoming archaeologists of our past failures where we go and and play around with them and look at them again and again and just can't believe that God could ever save us from that. Friends, He has. Your sins are dealt with under the blood of Christ. But part of the struggle of sanctification is this. Satan will want to bring you back into your past. Satan will want you to dig it back up. What God has buried in the sea of his forgetfulness, Satan never wants you to forget. Satan wants you to stay bogged down in that. And Paul says this, forgetting those things which are behind. You say, what things? Anything, good or bad. You say, but listen, God's used me in a mighty way in my past. I was able to lead my brother to the Lord. And I was able to lead my sister to the Lord. It's one of the great joys of my life. Friend, listen, we rejoice with you. I mean it. We do. But what about their children? And what about your nephews? And what about your nieces? Forget those things which are behind. Now, do not hear what I'm not saying. Paul is not sterilely saying that you can't give thanks and remembrance, the stones of remembrance for God's mighty deeds and working in the past. That's not what he's saying. God's not saying that, uh, Paul's not saying that we can't think about those that God's ministered and used in our life in the past. But what Paul is saying is that the default setting of our life is one of pressing on looking towards Christ, and forgetting those things which are behind, even the good things. We praise the Lord that you have a, uh, an award at home that you taught your Sunday school class for 20 years. But friend, let me just tell you, forget those things which are behind and press on. You say, LeGrand, that's kind of blunt, sterile, and cold. Let me ask you a question. Are you alive this morning? Then here's the message of God to you in Christ. Forget those things which are behind and press on in your calling with Christ. What about those who need to be reached today? What about the lost who need to hear the gospel today? What about the babies whose diapers need to be changed today? What about the men who need to hear the jail, uh, the gospel down at the jail today? What about those who need to be ministered to at Celebrate Recovery today? What about our neighbors who need us to invite them over to share the gospel with them on our fourth Sunday fellowships and intentional ministry and hospitality nights? What about those who need Jesus today? That's why Paul is saying, forget those things which are behind past sins past mistakes past failures let go of the past let it be covered in the gospel of jesus christ negatively positively verse 13 reach forward to the things which are ahead here's what paul is saying there is no room for complacency reach forward exert sportsmanship aiming at the target if you do not aim you will not hit your Target. Verse 8, he's already described that I may gain Christ. Verse 10, that I may know Christ. What Paul is describing for us here is positively that he may gain reaching, knowing Christ. In fact, Jesus describes this as the essence of salvation. John 17, verse 3, that this is eternal life. And what is that, Jesus? That they may know you, O Lord, O God. That they may know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Friends, what is your aim here this morning? What are you looking at? What is your focus on? And wherever you find your focus, that's where you will go. And what Paul is saying, go towards your focus, which should be rooted in Christ. The old song says it like this, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the sight of his glory and grace. Author Bill Keen says it like this, Yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift of God, which is why we call it the present. Secondly, Paul's aim. Lastly, number three, Paul gives us his ongoing continual present action, his action in verse 14. He says it again in different ways. Verse 14, he says this. He says, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what Paul is really saying here is this, is that the default mechanism, gear, mode of my life until he calls me home to glory is this, pressing towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ 
Jesus. Let's just render it to modern vernacular, some, some common day, everyday sayings. You put it like this, God is always moving. J. Hudson Taylor described it like this, God is always advancing. And because God is always advancing, so must we always be advancing in His, in His grace. Here in verse 14, Paul is using language that describes that of a runner, a race, prizes, language and vernacular that to his first century hearers, the church of Philippi, would bring all types of implications. For example, those who would run in the Olympiad or the races there in the city of Athens would know that the winner of the race, the victorious athlete, just like we know all the stats and details of our modern-day athletes and sports and games, the people in the pews there at the church of Philippi knew that the victorious athlete would be given a hundred pieces of, of silver or money. He would be given lifetime free meals, front row seats at any of the major games or events. But, but for Paul, and, and ultimately he would receive a laurel wreath on his head that would perish within a matter of days. But Paul here uses this language by pointing them not to these temporary things which fade away, but Paul in his language here in verses 12, 13, and 14 is pointing the church to a prize that is far greater than free food or laurel wreaths that temporarily uh, that are pass away very t- in a very temporary way. He points us to things that are greater than money which will perish. He points us to the, to the upward call. In other words, the goal for the Christian is not free food or front row seats or laurel wreaths that are dried out upon the mantel place. But the prize of the Christian, verse 14, is the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I'm running my race in my lane, pursuing and focused upon him. Running my race that he's given to me, focused completely upon him. Now, in conclusion this morning, I want to give some questions of Reminder and application to each one of us. Because this is an intergenerational church. We've got quite the gamut of people who've walked with God, physically, spiritually, of statistics and ages and and places of where we are. But this passage is a humble and gentle reminder to each one of us that we're all in a race. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten this morning that you are in a gospel race? Have you gotten off track in your sanctification of pursuing the prize that is Christ. Each one of us in our race must know how to push ourselves, verse 14, what Paul describes here. We also must know and remember how to pace ourselves, don't we? We experience setbacks. We experience trips and falls. Friend, I want to encourage you in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you have fallen, remember what Proverbs describes as the righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up again. Have you forgotten that you're in a race? Have you fallen by the wayside? Friend, hear the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the encouragement of the grace of God in Christ to pace yourself, to repent of your sin, to refresh and anew, to begin your race and to fix your aim upon the Lord Jesus Christ and finish better than you started. In fact, you could have summarized the Christian life like this. The Christian life is a series of fresh new beginnings. I'm going to say that again. The Christian life can be summarized not in terms of salvifically, salvation, but in the sense of growing in grace, growing in the Spirit, growing in sanctification. The Christian life can be summarized like this. Fresh new beginnings. New beginnings in Christ Jesus. Some days we find ourselves waiting upon Him for strength to be renewed But we must press towards the mark and the prize that is ours in Christ Jesus. Have you found yourself weighed down in 2023? Remember what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. Let us lay aside every weight. Some of us are trying to run our race with luggage, with baggage. Stuff that's been dealt with at the foot of the cross. Like Pilgrim, we need to take that off and leave it there and run in the freedom that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We need to run our race. And I want to say this in closing application. As we think about the focused life, not him, not her, but each one is saying this, but me. As we think about us in this text. 
As we think about this race, church, the church that forgets it's in a relay race is a dying church. While we have an individual race that we're called to, in one sense, using the metaphor of running and races, we are in a relay race. And while time will not allow us to unpack it, remember what Paul writes to Timothy when he gives the whole handing of the charge, the gospel mantle. Timothy, preach the word. Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, be instant in season and out of season. Timothy, do not lose the gospel. Be faithful to the gospel. And church, it's a reminder to us that we are in not only our own individual race, but there are others who are coming behind us who desperately need our example, who desperately need our faithfulness, who desperately need to see our faithfulness and testimony to the truth. The church who remembers this, the church who keeps their eyes fixed upon Christ, the church where every member is thinking personal ownership, personal ambition, I am running my race, and the church that remembers that there are those who we will pass the gospel baton to is the church that will be advancing, will be the church that God uses in a powerful way, will be the church that is faithfully fulfilling the great commission of teaching all things whatsoever he has commanded of us and teaching the gospel, handing the gospel to those that come behind. We praise God for the new births and babies that God has given to us here at Grace and others that are on their way. We don't view them as, as annoyances or hindrances or, or interruptions. We view them as the beautiful gifts that they are. And we praise the Lord that there is a future, that He's the Lord of that future. And we are comforted and exhorted as we live the Christ-focused life, asking the Lord to use us as we move forward in 2024. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are comforted as your people here this morning. Lord, knowing that you are not through with us, that you are using us, and yet there is a call of Christ to be renewed in our focus of you, to not be distracted, to run our race. And I'm afraid some of us have forgotten that we're even in a race. We're checked out. We may have retired from our, our callings and vocations, but there is no retirement from discipleship in Christ. While there may be physiological and physical things and patterns in our culture, Lord, the Christian is always turning the chapters of the, of the Christian life saying, Lord, what do you have for me here? Lord, what do you have for me now? What do you want me to do in this unique season of running my race uh, for you? Father, would you show us by your Spirit the areas and the ways in our lives where we have grown cold, lackadaisical, where, yes, we're busy, but the problem is we're busy at all the wrong things. But the things that advance your kingdom, we've become cold towards or distracted from. Well, may this be personal for every one of us here uh, this morning. Father, we pray for your grace. As you convict, as you lead, Lord, we pray for the grace that is ours in Christ. But you would encourage us as we come and rest in you and press on in this new year in 2024. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.